I'll deny myself and put my hand in yours. Father, we bless you and we thank you for that song of consecration, the reminder that it's in you we live, move, and have our being. And you've called us to put our hands in yours. somebody that's tuned in today God somebody that's watching has been reminded in a very stark way over the last five months that we need to put our hands in yours storms raging fires burning tornadoes spinning are simply reminders that we must put our hands in yours. So we pray now, God, that as your word goes forth, you would anoint it and use it to accomplish your will in our lives for this season. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. dear friend, a mentor of mine, was battling cancer. I wasn't familiar with the severity of the illness in terms of how far along he was, if he was stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four. All I knew was that he was fighting cancer. And we sat down and talked as he was going through his treatments and he said to me, he said, Cofield, he said, I'm in the fight for my life. It was at that moment that the severity of the disease uh, captured my, my emotions. I, I, I listened to his words carefully. I'm in the fight for my life. And I realized that that moment that his disease was far more serious than I knew. And I realized that there was a good chance that he wouldn't be with us much longer. 
He has transitioned from this mortal to immortality. But, but the lesson he taught me is that there comes a point, there comes a time when you will have to engage in the fight for your life. Uh, he was in a physical fight for his life, but there's somebody who is watching today. You may not be in a physical place where you are fighting for your life, but, but mentally you are fighting for your life because of uh, depression and angst and anxiety and worry and, and loneliness. You are in the fight for your life emotionally, mentally, maybe spiritually you're in the fight for your life. And here's what I need you to know today, my brothers and sisters. I need you to know that just like you can be in the fight for your life physically, mentally, and emotionally, you also need to engage and be in the fight for your joy. Now, I know some of you are thinking, you're thinking, wait a minute, Pastor, did you say the fight for my joy? Absolutely. See, here's what I've learned. Many of us who name the name of Christ, we, we think joy comes in a haphazard kind of way. We, we think joy just kind of randomly, serendipitously, it, it just comes into our existence. That, that joy just kind of meanders on in. And my brothers and sisters, I want you to know it's not about serendipity. It's about fighting for your joy. See, you have to fight to not only get your joy, but you have to fight to keep your joy. As we come to this last portion of Philippians chapter 1, I want to continue our look at the joy campaign. The joy campaign as we walk through the book of Philippians and the joy campaign. Our sub theme is living a joy filled life in a trouble filled world. And today I want to share with you part one of this message how to fight for your joy filled life. How to fight for your joy filled life. Now, the book of Philippians was written somewhere between 60 and 63 A.D. by the Apostle Paul. It's one of his prison epistles. He was on house arrest in Rome when he wrote this epistle to the saints at Philippi. Uh, the city of Philippi was on the Ignatian Way. The city of Philippi was named after Philip of Macedonia, who was the father of Alexander the Great. It was on that road, on that thoroughfare that connected Asia with Europe. It was a strategic city for the church to be planted and for the gospel to go forth from. And it's this letter that Paul writes that has within it this theme of joy. 16 times in four chapters, we see the word rejoice or joy in it or some derivative thereof. And it's amazing that Paul would write and encourage the saints at Philippi to be joy-filled Christians and for him to exhibit the kind of joy that they need to have even though he was in prison, letting us know that joy is not dependent on circumstances or situations, but you can have joy independent of your circumstances and situations. And today I want to, want to encourage you. Today I want to challenge you to engage in the fight for your joy. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Number one, 
In order to fight for your joy, you must honor God in your daily living. You must honor God in your daily living. Verse 27, the A part, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Paul understood firsthand what it meant and how important citizenship was. You see, Paul was a Roman citizen. It was that position that gave him the opportunity to demand and have a trial granted in front of Caesar. And Paul writes this to let them know that while they are living on earth and while they are citizens of Rome and while they are inhabitants of the city of Philippi, they are part of this special church. Paul wants them to understand without any question that their citizenship is in heaven. That while they are sojourning on earth, they are citizens of heaven. Look at what the word of God says. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves. Uh, that, that word conducting is an interesting word because the word conducting uh, really speaks to more conversation, but that English word for conversation, that old English word, has the idea of how you walk, not how you talk. Uh, it's the suggestion that your life and living speaks so loudly that people can't hear a word that you're saying. It's somebody watching you and somebody interacting with you and knowing based on their interaction with you that you must be somebody different. Have you ever talked to somebody and maybe their accent gave them away? Or you talk to somebody and their unique way of seeing the world just let you know that there was something different about them. And maybe you ask the question, where are you from? And depending on their accent, maybe you could pick up where they were from. Or maybe their view of life told you where they were from, but you, you knew once you talked to them that there was something different about them. But Paul says your citizenship is in heaven, and when you walk the way God wants you to walk, when you live your way, and live your life so that God is honored by your life and by your living. When somebody meets you, they should know there's something different about you. There should be some evidence that there's been a change in your life. So he says you must behave like a citizen in heaven. Look at verse 27, the B part, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. That word worthy literally means appropriately. Um, that you are walking in a way that demonstrates that you are a child of God. That while your citizenship is in heaven, there should be a change in your behavior on earth. He says you should walk worthy. There, there's something about you as a, a child of God. He says you should work, walk worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ. That, that phrase, good news, refers to the gospel. The gospel that, that talks about the, the birth 
the death the burial and the resurrection of our Lord that 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 gospel that that says uh, whosoever will can become a child of God that that gospel that 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 says John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life it's that gospel that came when the son of God became the son of man so that the sons and daughters of men could become the sons and daughters of God. It's that gospel that he says we must walk worthy of. Because we represent the gospel and the one who gave his life for the gospel. I can remember as a little boy, um, I was playing at a dance at the school and after the dance some of the kids started teasing uh, one of my classmates her name was Martha Bailey I'll never forget that name and you'll know why in a minute I'll never forget that name and I decided I was going to join in the teasing of Martha Bailey elementary school I I'm like all the kids I'm just out there in front of the school we're waiting on our parents and and, and we're just making fun of and teasing Martha Bailey and I just happened to look around and see my mother standing there. My mother didn't say a word. She just looked at me and said, come on, let's go. She was eerily quiet as we took the bus back home. And when we got home, she sent me into my room and had a conversation with my father. All of a sudden, I get called out of the room and get one of the whippings of my life and I could hear my father in between the licks saying things like how dare you embarrass me standing out in front of a school acting like a buffoon embarrassing me in front of those white folk now you gotta remember my father was born and from Alabama and if you wanted to get on his bad side embarrass him in front of some white folk and my father made sure that I would never do that again and never forget Martha Bailey's name. He told me I carried his name. And because I carried his name, he expected me to walk in a way that honored his name. Fast forward several years later, I acknowledge a call to preach. I start preaching. And I'm ordained a missionary for the Tigard Valley Association in northern West Virginia. I'm going around serving communion and, and, and helping churches who are without a pastor. And I remember Deacon Tim Horton Sr. He was an old man then. And Deacon Tim Horton Sr. at my ordination shook my hand. And he said to me, he said, son, don't ever do anything in your life to make your church regret what they've done this day. I wish I could say I've always lived sinless. I'm trying to learn how to sin less. But I will tell you, every now and then, in my mind, I would hear the words of Deacon Tim Horton Sr. Because he shared with me that there was a standard by which I should live. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. 
beginning at verse 1. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Walking worthy means to walk in a way that pleases God. That pleases God. Look at Colossians chapter 1 verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Look at this. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We do not behave in order to go to heaven as though we could be saved by our good works. We behave the way we should because our names are already written in the Lamb's book of life and we are just living out what God has already deposited within. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 beginning at verse 2. The only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves your lives are a letter written in our hearts everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you clearly you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you this letter is written not with pen and ink but with the spirit of the living God it is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. When people never read the Bible, they read you. They're looking at your life. They're reading your life. Uh, I love this little poem. The source is unknown, but I think it captures this idea. Here's what it says. You are writing a gospel. A chapter each day by the deeds that you do and the words that you say I've got to tell you I've had occasions when I've been out and, and I noticed that that somebody was kind of looking you know when you when you look up and every time you look up they're looking at you every time you look over there they're kind of looking at you then they turn their head real quick and I'm trying to figure out why this person's watching me. Never said a word until they got ready to leave. And then they walked over and said, Pastor Cofield, how you doing? Said, you, you don't know me, but I'm, I'm a member. I, I come to the 12 o'clock service. I sit up in the balcony. I just wanted to come over and speak. And as they walked away, I was thinking to myself, I wonder if they would have spoken if I was clowning and acting a fool at that moment. Or were they just observing to see the letter I was writing that day. Paul says, I want you to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. But let me get to the second thing, and then I'm going to let you go. Number two, you must fight for the faith. You must fight for the faith. The B part of verse 27, Philippians chapter 1, the New Living Translation reads, then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing side by side fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. The faith of the gospel. Paul says that we should be fighting. 
for the faith. And my brothers and sisters, I've got to tell you something. I don't believe there are enough Christians who are fighting for the faith. I don't believe there are enough Christians who are fighting for their joy. As a matter of fact, let me go one step further and run the risk of offending somebody who's watching right now. I don't believe you fight like you need to for your own joy. You're waiting for God to just drop joy on you. And God teaches us in his word that you and I have to be willing to do some fighting. One of the reasons we need to do some fighting is because we got somebody who's fighting against us. See, the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. And the church was never intended to be a cruise ship, but a battleship. God expects us to be prepared to engage in warfare. And let me help somebody for a moment. You don't have to like to fight to get beat up in a fight. Matter of fact, you can declare, I'm not bothering anybody. That does not mean the devil won't bother you. Look at A. A, under number two, you must fight side by side with other believers. I think it's a powerful, powerful statement that that the Apostle Paul makes. He says, "I, I will know that you are standing side by side. He said, whether I come in person or I just hear about what's happening. I want to hear that you all are standing side by side, that that you as believers are like an army of believers who are standing shoulder to shoulder, back to back, that you are fighting side by side for the faith. There's no room for a Rambo saint who's out there fighting by themselves behind enemy lines. He says, no, we, we, we need to stick together. There needs to be some, some side-by-side fighting. And, and let, let me be honest, here's the problem in many churches, in, in many houses of worship. The, the problem is there are too many Christians who are not fighting with each other. They're fighting against each other. We, we get into this idea of petty personality differences and and what our preferences are as compared to what God says in his word. Paul says, no, 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 you you need to be standing side by side. You you need to be standing firm. You need to stand locked in with one another. It's this idea of of a team that's playing together. One of the most beautiful Beautiful sights, I believe, in all of sports. And, and you might think this strange, and it's not because I played the sport or played the position, but, but to me, there's nothing more beautiful than to see a play run to perfection. And one of the plays that I love to see is a play in football when the offensive line starts moving and one moves in front, one moves behind, one pulls, one goes up, one goes to the left, one goes to the right, and they just, it looks like a, a, a ballet, a perfectly choreographed dance when everybody does what they're supposed to do in order to produce the result that they are looking to produce. 
God says in the body of Christ, we've got to learn how to stand together. We've got to learn how to fight together. He says that's the only way we can we can fight for the faith and consequently fight for our joy. We, we've got to learn how to fight together. We've got to learn how to strive with one another. And, and he emphasizes this idea of together. This idea of together. So that we can encourage one another and pray for one another and, and love on one another. So that whenever one of us falls down, the other can pick them up and vice versa. He says we've got to learn how to fight together. But look at B. B, you must fight against your real enemies. You must fight against your real enemies. Now, I need to put a cord in the meter and park here real quick. I don't want you to move too fast because you'll miss it. Look at verse 28. The A part says... Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. Don't be intimidated by, in any way by your enemies. As a believer, you have enemies. As a believer, I have enemies. Now, before you start thinking about a particular person who, whom you deem to be your enemy, here's what God wants you to understand. Enemies come in a variety of shapes and sizes and the enemies that we have find their foundation in our enemy. Let me say it again because somebody missed it. You will have a multiplicity of enemies, but they all find their root in the enemy. Let me see if I can help you. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Listen, listen to what the word says. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So here's what I need to tell somebody. Stop being surprised that you have enemies when the Bible has already told you that you have an enemy. If he is walking about seeking whom he may devour, that means he's going to use anything and anybody to help bring about your downfall. So why are you shocked when the enemy comes at you? The Lord says you got to be prepared to fight. You got to be prepared to fight against the real enemies. Now you say, wait a minute, what do you mean the real enemies? Well, first you got to fight the enemies within. You got to fight the enemies within. Look, look at what the text says. The text says, don't be intimidated. Stop right there. Don't be frightened. Don't be afraid. Right? He, he's talking about an internal emotion that has come about because of the external presence of somebody or something. Listen to me carefully. You can be in a fight and not be afraid. But I promise you, you sure gonna lose a fright if, fight if you're scared before you get into the fight. If you're already afraid, 
If your opponent has already taken your heart, guess what? You're going to lose that fight every time. Paul says, don't be intimidated. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Be willing to fight for the faith. Be willing to fight for your joy. Be willing to fight for whatever it is that God has for you that the devil is determined to take away from you. Be willing to fight. Fight on somebody. Fight on. But it's not just the enemy within He says, you got to deal with the enemies without. In other words, you got to deal with the emotions on the inside and attitudes on the inside. The fear, the insecurities, you got to deal with that stuff on the inside. But you also have to be prepared to deal with the enemies on the outside. That that word for enemies literally means opponent, somebody who is lying in opposite of you or in opposition to you. You say left, they say right. You say up, they say down. You try to go forward, they try to pull you backwards. He said you are going to have some enemies and you must be willing to fight. And listen to me carefully. Part of fighting is not being pugnacious, ready to lift your hands and throw your hands. Part of fighting is recognizing that when you have somebody who is opposing you to keep you down, you've got to be determined to fight and get up. Stop letting other people control your life, Paul says. You've got to be willing to fight for your joy. That person may not be happy for you. And maybe the reason they're not happy for you is because they're not happy for themselves. But you've got to be willing to fight. Now let me close by sharing this with you. How can you you fight this enemy? How can you you win this battle for your joy? Listen listen to me carefully. You've got to know that if the battle is spiritually rooted then the battle can only be won spiritually, right? In other words, if the battle is spiritual, you can't win it in your flesh. I don't care how good you can fight in your flesh. Um, A couple of years ago, Floyd Mayweather, undefeated boxer, fought Conor McGregor, a mixed martial arts champion. They built up the fight. They hyped the fight. They wanted people to spend money on it, pay-per-view, and bet money on the fight. And, and really, if each was allowed to fight according to their discipline, it wouldn't have been any contest. <laughs> uh, but here's what they basically did. They said, uh, Floyd is a boxer. Connor, you box, kick, grab, hit with elbows, knees, body slam, choke holds, and everything else. The only thing you're allowed to do is use your hands and hit with your fists. Now, now that was their attempt to make it as fair a fight as possible. That's, that, that's what they were trying to do. And Floyd Mayweather won the fight. Well, he should have won because that's what he did. He was a boxer. 
But my God, if they had let them fight according to their disciplines, and they said, uh, Connor, you can kick, and Floyd, you can kick. Connor, you can throw elbows. Floyd, you can throw elbows. Connor, you can wrestle. Floyd, you can wrestle. Floyd wouldn't have made it out of the first round. He wouldn't have made it out of the first round because that's not his discipline. What are you saying? I'm saying you, you have to fight. And when you have an opponent, recognize that at the root of the fight is a spirit. And you can't defeat spirit unless you fight on a spiritual realm. I don't care how good you are in your flesh. You can't win in a spiritual fight if you are trying to fight in your flesh. You say, wait a minute, what do you mean, Pastor? There are spiritual weapons that you have to use. Somebody who's listening right now, the reason you are so joyless in your life is because you're trying to be victorious, thank you, Lord, with your fists instead of walking and learning how to be victorious in your faith. You've got to spend time in the Word of God. You've got to spend time in prayer. You've got to spend time in praise. You have to spend time dedicating yourself to who God is in your life if you are going to be victorious in your walk with God. Ephesians chapter 6 says, finally, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You got to put on the whole armor. You, you, you got to pray. You, you got to put on the breastplate of righteousness. You, you, you have to in, in, engage in and 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 worship and and you have to engage in meditation look at hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 for the word of god is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart let me just close by telling you this over the last five months we have gone through arguably the toughest time in the modern history of the world and in our country. Uh, if you're like me and like many others, you have been pushed to a level that you have never been pushed to and then just when you didn't think it could get any worse and you couldn't go any further, you got pushed a little bit further. And you have gotten pushed, listen carefully, beyond your normal capacity to be able to handle things. And here's what I want you to know. When you hit the rock in the bottom, know that the rock is Jesus. When you get to the place that you don't know what to do, that's the place that you have to turn to God. You have to be willing to fight for your joy. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God just walked up and said, here's joy. And the devil just looked and said, oh, you got joy? Enjoy your joy. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice 
if, if, if the Holy Ghost just said, hey, here's, here's, here's an extra dose of joy, because, you know, it's getting really hard out here in this pandemic and, and racism and, and, and the resurgence of COVID-19 and catastrophes and hurricanes and tornadoes and firestorms. Wouldn't it be nice if the Holy Ghost just said, Here, here's some joy, and the devil said, man, enjoy that joy because I know you need it. No, the devil's going to do everything he can to keep joy from you. And if you have some, to take what little you have. The question is, are you willing to fight for the joy, for the faith that God has made available to you? Paul says, fight. Fight the good fight. Fight. Fight back to back with your brothers and sisters. Identify the real enemy and fight the fight so that you can be victorious. If you fight, God will bring you victory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this time. And I pray now, God, that everything that has been said and done has been pleasing in your sight. God, give us an opportunity. Give us the mind. There's somebody who's listening right now who has thrown in the towel. Somebody has given up. And today, God, I want you to use your word. Not just your preach word, but your word in song to encourage somebody to stand with you and to know that in you all things are possible. Bless as only you can. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I've asked Elder Taylor if he would sing a little bit of a song to encourage somebody today Um, because I just know that in the midst of this journey, sometimes you just get tired and, and you're ready to throw up your hands and throw in the towel. But I want you to be encouraged today that when you fight the good fight of faith, when you fight for your joy, when you fight for your peace, God will honor that and will bless you in ways that you could not think or imagine. Sing, Hilda.